We are so blessed today to be together and to have God's Spirit moving in us. And, and so we're going to continue through our Story of God series. Um, basically, if you've missed all of this, you're joining us in the fifth week of a six-week series. And you can go back and catch those online. But the idea behind this series is that the story of God, the story we see in Scripture... The, the story that, that, uh, of God's work in Scripture and beyond Scripture is not just stories that we read in a book, but that this is our story. And so our goal in this series is that we will find ourselves in the story of God, not just in a specific place, but that as we understand the story of Scripture, as we understand what God has done, that we will see how that is real in our lives. And so we've looked through this story, and we started the first week with this idea of creation, that, that God created man and woman, and, and God created this beautiful garden of Eden and put man and woman in it, and everything was perfect. They had everything they needed with their, with their God. They had a beautiful garden, and, and everything was perfect, but then, then in our story, the problem comes in. And that's that the, there was a serpent, the, the, the devil came and tempted man to choose a different way. And that's what this apple represents, that, that, that this serpent said, hey, surely you don't have to do it exactly the way God said, right? Maybe if you would just eat from this one tree that, that God told you not to eat from, I think God's trying to hold you back. And so, so man, Adam and Eve chose to do it their own way, to go their own way. And all of a sudden, this perfect creation that God had, this, this beautiful garden where they could rely on God and everything was perfect, it was broken. And all of a sudden, we see the problem in our lives that we have a sinful nature and that we are separated from God's glory and presence. And, and so then we talked about in the, in the second week, I'll pick it up, that, that God came and established a covenant with his people. So we messed it up. Things got really messy really quick. You don't have to read far to read where people start hurting each other and killing each other and sickness and disease and all these things come into the world. And so God comes in and God establishes covenant with the people of Israel because God pursues his people even when they've blown it. So God establishes a covenant. I will be your God. You will be my people, and, and you will follow me. And so things are good again, right? We're following God. But then, as we talked about in the third week, the people started to look at other kingdoms and other nations, and they started to think, hey, we, we need what they have. It's pretty hard relying on God when, when you can't see God or when you, when you don't always know what God's going to do. So, hey, what about that kingdom over there, they've got a king. And when they go to battle and when they, when they have difficulty, they've got somebody to rule them. And so the people wanted a king. This is true for us a lot of times that, that, that we know that God provides for us, but sometimes we get tricked into thinking we need something more. And then, and then last week we talked about the fact that, that, that God did give the people a king and they lived and died in good times and bad times based on those kings. But then God sent the one true king, not the king that we wanted, the king that would give us all of our wishes and make every, you know, give us victory in battle and make us rich and all these things. But God sent the king that we needed, 
the king that would bring healing. Because ever since this time, this choice to go our own separate way, we've been broken. We've been messed up. But God sent Jesus, the king we needed, to heal us. And so, so you'd think the story would be done there, right? Okay, that we got the king we needed, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. It's all good, right? But as you can see, we got two weeks left. That's not the end of the story. In fact, as you just look around you. We're still here. So the story's not over yet. It's, it's continuing on. And so, so here's the problem. The king that they needed, Jesus, came. And last week we looked at the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And he rides in on a donkey. And we talked about the fact that Jesus came to humbly serve. And then Jesus goes and Jesus dies so that we can be healed. And he, he's resurrected from the dead so that we have victory over sin and death. But here's the problem. And you're going to notice a theme here. We, or the people, didn't accept the king that they needed. In fact, Jesus, Jesus came for all people, but, but at the time of his death and resurrection, only a few believed. And so if, if that was the end of the story, that's pretty bad news for the rest of us and for most of the people that were living at that time. We got the king that we needed. He came, he died, he rose again, he gave us victory, but we still didn't accept it. And you don't have to look very far to understand that there is a world all around us that doesn't accept the king that they need, that doesn't accept Jesus as their king. And, and so that leads us to today. That leads us to the gap, is what I'm going to call it. The gap between Jesus coming and giving us victory, and the gap between there and the kingdom of God being established, and everyone knowing Christ. Not everyone in the world regardless, but, but the people that will believe in God, the people that will believe in Christ and follow Christ, the kingdom will be established. But we got this gap, because at the time Jesus came and died and was resurrected and ascended, there were only a few that believed. So today I want to talk about that gap. That gap, because Jesus came to bring us healing, but we still didn't accept that healing. And, and there are people all over the world, both at that time and still today, that do not accept the king that they need. And so, so that brings us to this gap. And I, I want to give you some good news. God's not done with the story. God is working. See, Jesus came. He was the king that we needed. But now God is doing something different. And that's what this lamp represents. This lamp represents God's plan for the gap between the king coming and the kingdom being established. This gap between God's plan for everyone to know him and everyone coming to know him and the kingdom being real. And so we have this lamp. Let me ask you a question. What does a lamp do? What is this lamp doing right now? Pretty much nothing. It's being held. 
But, but a lamp is meant to bring light. That's what most of you said, I think, if you got it right. A lamp is meant to bring light. I want to call you to John chapter 1. This is a scripture we, we read it a lot. It's not going to be on the screen. This is really quick. But in John chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus, the king that we need. And it says, in him was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. So ever since this moment, we've been living in darkness. God has intervened, but we've chosen our way. There's been this back and forth. Jesus came to bring light to the world. And, and so here we find a lamp, but Jesus is the light of the world. So what does this lamp represent? Well, this lamp represents us, the church. We are God's plan to bridge this gap between the king that came and the kingdom that's coming. We are supposed to be bringing light to the world around us. We, the church. And so, so here we are. We are, this week we're talking about us, the lamp. And, and so, so how... I mean, you see this lamp right here. It's not, it, it's kind of hard to illustrate this because it's not dark in here, but this lamp is really just a decorative piece right now, right? It's not actually doing its job of bringing light. It's just sitting here. So how can we take the light of the world to the world if we're just a lamp? So, so in order to look at this a little bit further, I want us to look through Scripture, really quick. I want, to, I want us to look at God's presence and God's, God's spirit through Scripture. And, and so we see God in the beginning. We see God's spirit. We see, we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God together in creation, creating the world. And then we see, as, as we heard in the first week, God in the garden with Adam and Eve. And, and so God was present then. Well, then after things got messed up, the, the people of Israel established this covenant with God, but God was present in the form of a cloud on a mountain and fire. This is a theme that I want you to follow here. Fire and cloud, wind and fire. These are two things that are really important to understand through Scripture because every time God shows up through Scripture, we see... I, I shouldn't say every time, but when God shows up, usually it's accompanied by wind and fire. And so God is on this mountain in, a, in, in the clouds in a pillar of fire at Mount Sinai, and that's where we see the covenant. Then we see the people start to follow God in covenant, and all of a sudden they build a tabernacle that will house the presence of God. And you can read through the Old Testament that, that when God was in the tabernacle, there would be a wind moving through it. And so once again, we see the wind, the spirit of God. And so God was in spirit at creation. God was in spirit on this cloud and pillar of fire on this mountain. And God was in, present in the tabernacle. And, and then we see the temple built, the Ark of the Covenant and the temple. And the people of God, the Israelites, believed that the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. So much so that you were not allowed to go anywhere near the Ark of the Covenant unless you were completely pure. Because they believed you could not be in contact 
with the Almighty God if you weren't pure. And so they had this ark that, that was carried around with them, and then the temple was built. And the temple was supposed to be God's dwelling place, right? And so the Spirit of God was in the temple. Now, I want, I want to make a clarification. Throughout these points, it's not that God was completely boxed into an ark or a temple or a certain cloud. God was active throughout Scripture all over the place. God is over all and through all and in all. But we see this movement of God's presence through Scripture, and so God is in the temple. We had this idea, some of you have heard about this before in church, but there was the Holy of Holies. So the temple had like the general population area. That's the people that sit in the 500s at the Reds game, right? And then you had like the inner courts. That's like the people that get the nice box seats. But then you had the Holy of Holies. And I mean, I'd like to say that's the Diamond Club, but nobody, nobody went in the Holy of Holies because that's where God's presence was. And so God's presence was in the, the temple. But then something happened. The temple was destroyed, and all of a sudden, God's presence entered the world through Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, Jesus came, and the presence of God was living in the world. So I know that I know you guys are getting lost here, but I want you to understand that God has been present in different ways throughout Scripture, but so far, all of the ways that God has been present are things outside of us, a, a tabernacle, a mountain, a cloud, a temple, even Jesus, these are, these are things that maybe we can see at times, but it's outside of us. And so God's presence has been moving through Scripture. In Matthew 12, Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. You know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about himself because he is the presence of God. And so that brings us to Jesus, the true king, who enters Jerusalem and, and people shout Hosanna and everything's good and he ends up going to a cross and dying on that cross so that we could have life and, and there's this cool moment I wasn't going to talk about this but I got to talk about this because the people believed that, that God's presence was in the holy of holies right but there's this cool thing that happens the moment that Jesus dies does anyone know what that is the curtain that separates the general population from the Holy of Holies is torn, and all of a sudden, God's presence is, is understood to be available to others. We can all of a sudden be in the presence of God without being struck down or being hurt. And so we see this movement through Scripture, and Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus is resurrected. I feel bad brushing over this, it's a big deal. But, but then Jesus comes toward the end of his time after he's resurrected, and he comes to his disciples, and his disciples are getting kind of antsy, like, okay, we believe you, we saw you die, here you are in person, you were resurrected, what's the plan? What are we going to do next? I mean, I'm sure the disciples were kind of on fire at this point. Okay, Jesus, you are who you said you were. We, we're here. What, do, what are we going to do next? And so, so what's the plan? His answer is in Acts chapter 1. Let's look at it. In verse 8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the disciples see Jesus resurrected and they say, here we go, what's the big plan? And you know what Jesus says? He says the plan is this. The Holy Spirit, this spirit that's been active throughout Scripture, is going to come on you, and you are going to be my plan to witness to all the world. And so Jesus promises his spirit again. His big plan is us, the church, his people being filled with his spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. Does that sound familiar? Suddenly the sound of a blowing like a violent wind, wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. So we got wind, we got fire, the presence of God. They saw the tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So Jesus says, my plan, the big plan is this. God is going to send the Spirit to live in you and you will be my witnesses through the gap. And then in chapter 2, sure enough, here it is, the wind, the fire, and the Spirit come, and the Spirit dwells in God's people. Man, this, this is good stuff. I don't know if you guys are excited about that. I'm excited about this. I know that was a lot of talk, but this is the story of God, and this is the Spirit of God that was there at creation, and this is the Spirit of God that was there on the mountain in the cloud. This is the Spirit of God that was in the tabernacle. This is the Spirit of God that we see active throughout Scripture, and Jesus says, it's coming to you. And so all along, the Spirit of God has been at work, but we've kind of been on the outside, just kind of in this back and forth relationship, but all of a sudden, the Spirit dwells in God's people. The power of God that's been active all along is now living in us. We can't miss this. I, I feel like sometimes we miss this. I, I'm beyond, I feel like sometimes we look at church as, and we look at being the church as just, hey, we're going to come, we're going to sing some songs, we're going to shake each other's hands, we're going to be good people, we're going to be nice. We're, gonna, we're just going to be nice to people. And, and maybe we'll be holy in the way that we're, we're not going to do these bad things like all those bad people. We're going to follow a really good set of rules. And we're going to be the church. But here's the deal. That church that I just talked about is this right here. No, it's not lit because they don't trust me with a lit candle. But... But that church that I described, it's all about just being nice and following a set of rules, and that's this. It's decorative. It's not actually filled with the light that is supposed to bring light to the world. And so the Spirit of God comes and dwells in the people. And, and so what does that mean for us? If we're going to be witnesses in the gap, what does this mean for us? I think it means three things. Number one, if you accept Christ and believe in Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. 
This is no small thing. This is, you guys should be more excited than this. Because this is the God that's been at work all along. This is the God that parted the seas. This is the God that delivered the Israelites over and over again through battles. This is the God that's been faithful and present all along. The powerful, violent wind and the fire of God is living in us. Man, if you're a follower of Christ, you're no longer an empty, decorative piece. You are filled with the very Spirit of God. See, see, God's plan is to fill us with God's Spirit. And that's the plan to reach the world around us. Don't miss this. We're not a decorative piece. We are filled with the Spirit of God. You are tapped into the most powerful, the most powerful force in all the world. The Creator God lives in you if you believe. So number one, if you believe the Spirit of God lives in you. Number two, this is important for us. The Spirit of God is meant to bring us together and work in us together. Did you see what happened in in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit descended, when the wind and the fire came and, and came into people? People from all over all of a sudden became one because, because they had the Spirit of God in them. And, and so this is important because I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes in the church, we're not unified by the Spirit. Sometimes in the church, we become a, a decorative lamp that's not truly filled with the, the light of the world, with the Spirit of God. And when that happens... You know what happens to churches? We become divided. We start to argue over silly things like music and carpet and buildings and decorations and lamps and trees and plants. I've heard of all those. We're meant to be filled with the Spirit. And here's the thing, if the Spirit has filled us, we should be unified. We should be together. Regardless of our differences, even if we speak different languages, God can bring us together. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on eBay and thought about buying the Korean version of Rosetta Stone, (laughs) but I haven't yet. I'm, I'm hoping God will just, boom, give me the spirit and I'll understand Korean, but it hasn't happened yet. But, but God's spirit brings us together. One of the mistakes we, we make is that we start to to be empty of the Spirit of God and we start to be divided. But another mistake that we make is to think that we can be God's witnesses around the world on our own. That, hey, I don't need to be a part of the church because I've got God's Spirit in me and I'll be a witness on my own. But God's plan is not that we would be a bunch of individual people filled with the light, but that we would be one together, that we would be filled with the Spirit and unified. And the Spirit should not ever divide us, it should unite us. When we are divided, guess what? That's not the work of God's Spirit. That's the work of our nature that continually messes up throughout the story. But that's not God's plan. 
Let's, let's read Ephesians chapter 2 together, verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not a stranger. You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Turn and say, hey, fellow citizen. That's kind of weird, isn't it? At least you're talking. At least you're moving. It's good. But, but, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the same household. Turn and say, hey, brother. Hey, sister. How are you? You're members of, of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Listen to this part. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. This is important. If you are a follower of Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, then you are filled with the spirit of God. And if you're filled with the spirit of God, you are being built together with all the other people in the world that are filled with the spirit of God to be God's holy temple. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Some of you just thought you were coming to church to sing some songs today. Some of you thought you were just coming to hear a mediocre message today. Some of you thought you were just coming to see some friends at church. But you came to church today to be filled with the Spirit and to be one with all of us, to be built together into God's holy temple. This is so much more than just a service on a weekend. This is God's work in bringing us together and building the holy temple. This is important what we do here. This is huge. For centuries, we were spectators of what God had been doing and all of a sudden, God's Spirit is alive in us. And we are to carry the light of the world that's living in us to the world around us, and we do that together. There's a couple things that are, are huge in this. I want us to understand this. And you've, you've probably heard me make this mistake five or six times in this sermon alone. I do it all the time. I did it in prayer this morning. Sometimes we think that we come to church to be in the presence of God. That we come to church like a, like a deer that wants water, that we're going to go to church to get the water. That we need to go to a building, to a service, so that we can experience the Spirit of God. But we no longer have to come to a building to enter into God's presence. That doesn't mean you don't have to come to church. But listen to the second thing. We come to a building full of God's spirit already to form the holy temple. You didn't come here today just to get a drink of water and go back out and be thirsty again. You came full of the spirit to join together with others that are full of the spirit to be the holy temple of God. There is nothing, there is nothing more important that you can do than to join together 
with other people filled by the Spirit and, and be in God's holy temple together lives in us. I, I promise you, what we're doing here is so important because God had a plan to take us from the king that died and resurrected and gave us victory but then ascended. God had a plan to reach the world around us and that plan was a church that's filled with the Spirit and it's unified. I was thinking about this last night. I was walking through the room in the middle of the night, as I often do, and, and as I often do, I stepped on a Lego. That thing wouldn't have been very helpful last night, but you know what would have been really helpful? Is a light, a light in a dark world. That's what we're called to be. We are called to be one together, filled with the light of the world, so that the world around us can see the true God, the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so we come together to be built together into God's holy temple. It's not just a fun place. It's not just a place to come and learn more. It's not just a place to, to sing together. It's, it's not just a place that we join in our members of. This is God's holy temple. And it's not God's holy temple because you're in the sanctuary. It's God's holy temple because you're surrounded by the family of God that's filled with his spirit. You know, you know what that means? That means carpet and stained glass and crosses and buildings. That's not the power of the church. Those are good things. I love the cross. I love stained glass. I love altars. I love... This building, it's a blessing. But the power of the church of God is not in those things. It's in us together, which leads us to our third thing. And that's this, that when we're filled by the Spirit, when the light of the world enters into us and we're unified together to become the light of the world, to, to share the light of the world, when we become God's holy temple, the third thing is this. Amazing things happen because God's spirit, when we are faithful, when we come together, when we're filled with the spirit, the spirit works and does incredible things. See, throughout scripture, God's spirit would enter into somebody, but it was a temporary thing. And guess what happened every time God's spirit entered into someone? Something amazing would happen. Battles would be won. People would be healed. God's Spirit changes things. And so if we are filled by the Spirit that's living in us, and if we come together, then guess what? God's Spirit is going to work in us and through us, and the world is going to be changed. We will take the light of the world, and the world will be changed. Let's look back at Acts chapter 2. This is after the Spirit comes on the people. Listen to what happens in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the, mighty, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen to this last line. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, when the Spirit comes into us, when we come together, amazing things happen. This group of people who was pretty flaky throughout history, when filled with the Spirit, when they come together, what happens? They were fully devoted to God. They were fully devoted. Number two, they, they were unified. It says they had everything in common. I don't think that means they liked the same things to eat. I don't think that means that they liked the same TV shows, even though the TV shows weren't around then. But what it meant is that they were unified because the Spirit of God was living in them. So they came together. They became one. Another thing that happens is pretty cool. It says the signs and wonders that were happening through them. People were being healed. Great things were happening. It says they took care of each other. They loved each other. They, they went so far as to sell their possessions to help each other out when they were in need. That's what we're called to do. is to be unified, to be one and filled with the Spirit. And God added to their number daily. Not because they built a nice temple that was full of cool, you know, lamps and plants and stuff like that that people wanted to come into. God added to their number daily because the Spirit of God was at work in them and they came together and as they loved each other and cared for each other and forgave each other and gave to each other and worshiped together and ate together, guess what happened? People saw it and they knew that was God. And so people were added daily. Listen, we are to be the light of the world. Not to be an empty lantern with no light that's just a decorative piece. We are called to be filled by the Spirit of God, to come together and, and to to let the Spirit of God work in us. And so, so the Spirit dwells in us. This is the progression. Let's look at it real quick. When we accept Christ, the Spirit dwells in us. Then the Spirit transforms us. We become models of Christ. We model Christ's grace, peace, love, and power in relationship with each other. Then God works in amazing ways, and people come to know God. This is huge. I, re I read this this week. That when we forgive the way the Spirit teaches us to forgive, people see God. When we give the way the Spirit prompts us to give, people see God. When we love the way that God teaches us and the Spirit leads us to love, people see God. And so today, we're not just here to sing together. We're not just here to high-five and turn and say awkward things to each other that the pastor tells you to say. We are here, we are here as followers of Christ who are filled by the Spirit to come together and build the holy temple and to be a light to the world around us. The band's going to come, we're going to sing a song about this. And, and I, just want, I just want you as we sing this song to think about the high calling to think about the, the amazing power of God that is in you, that brings us together today. And I want you to think about being fully devoted. I want you to think about the Spirit working in you to where you can forgive that person that maybe on your own you couldn't. That, that the Spirit would be at work in you so much that maybe you would be prompted to sell something to give to someone else in need. 
that the Spirit would be so alive in you that you just want to encourage and be with and eat with and love the holy temple of God and that the Spirit would be so alive in you that you would be filled with the light of the world that others would come to know God. Father, I love you today. I thank you for the privilege of being with these brothers and sisters. And I thank you that your spirit is at work in us and through us. And so, Father, today as we, as we sing together, as we get ready to go fellowship together, Father, I just pray that you would continue to build us up. Continue to build us into your holy temple. Help us to love and forgive and, and give and take care of each other, Lord. Help us to be your spirit alive in us at work so that the world around us will know you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.